in the letter of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. The reading of God's word, you may be seated this morning. Well, we are continuing our series in Ephesians. We're uh, more than halfway through, and this last half of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 uh, are, are about how do we relate to one another, how do we relate to ourselves as we relate to God, coming out of what we've talked about the first three chapters, our theology, what we believe to be true about God. What we believe to be true about God ought to dictate how we live our lives uh, with, in relationships to ourselves and other people. And so this morning is a very frightening passage, as you just heard uh, Jared read. He just read, uh, in my opinion, some of the most frightening words in all of the text. You are sure of this one thing, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, who is a covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance to the kingdom of God, to Christ and to God. That, that ought to, to scare us this morning. Like, if, if we're sitting here and we're doing an inventory of ourselves, Paul is going to list out these things that he says, they ought not to even be mentioned among you, the saints. And so this morning, I, I want to look at four things from this passage. And I want to look at four things that give us hope from this passage. Because if we just look at that one verse, if you're like me, you come to that verse and you, would, you have to say, uh, in my lifetime, I've been sexually immoral, I've been impure, I've coveted people, I've been an idolater, therefore I don't inherit the kingdom of God. But there's hope in this passage that says to us this morning, that there's a pattern that we're to live, and if we live this pattern, we'll inherit the kingdom of God. And so I want to look at, these are not original to me, these four words, four Ps this morning from this passage. I want to look at the plea that Paul gives us. I want to look at the pattern that Paul calls us to. I, I want to look at the perversion that Paul tells us to, to flee from. And lastly, I want to look at the punishment that's going to come to those who remain in their perversion so let's look at the very first one the plea from paul paul says this therefore remember if you ever see therefore you must ask the question what is therefore therefore it takes us back to the previous passage and you remember last week we looked at these things that paul tells us not to do he's saying don't do these things we looked at four things last week he told us to look at our anger look at our speech look at our conduct and he says don't do these things instead do these things. And now Paul's going to give us, how do we do these things? He says the very first word, be imitators. The word imitators in this, in this letter, it comes from the Greek word that we get our word to mimic. Anyone have children that have ever mimicked you? 
Uh, even if we, uh, let me rephrase that. You have children that mimic you, whether you like it or not. And so Paul was saying to us, hey, we're to be imitators. We're to mimic something. And if I do an inventory of my life and my heart, I often do not imitate what Paul calls me to imitate. He says to therefore be imitators of who in this passage? Who? God. Therefore be imitators of God. And so we must ask the question to ourselves this morning, then who is God? If Paul's calling us to imitate God, then who is God? And the, the, the characteristics of God are endless. Some that we can never attain to. Some that we'll never be able to uh, live out. We'll never be omnipresent. Meaning, we'll never be everywhere at all times. That's God. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. All these things, but there are some characteristics of who God is that Paul calls us to be. Galatians 6 gives us a list of those. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. Do these things is what Paul says. So here's a list of things that we can imitate. Are we kind? Do we have goodness in our heart? Do we have love for one another? Do we have joy with one another? Do we have forgiveness for one another? You see, all the things that Paul says to us, be imitators of God. So I ask the question, how well do you know God? You see, I can only mimic something if I know it well. Anyone ever, uh, yeah, I'll say this. Uh, Anyone like Jimmy Fallon, the the stand-up comedian? He's hilarious. Man, he can do some great impressions of people. Well, how does he do such great impressions of people? Because he studied them and studied them and studied them and studied them and studied them. And so I ask the question, how well do we know God to be able to mimic God? We cannot mimic something we do not know. And so Paul says to us, be imitators of God. Know God as what? Beloved children. That that ought to give us hope. He's not saying for us to mimic God as participants. He's not telling us to uh, mimic God as bystanders. He's not telling us to mimic God as ones who look on to God. He says, hey, you mimic God as children of God, which means what? We carry God's DNA with us wherever we go if we're God's children. You, You see, from this day forward, when Tennyson and Cedar were, were born, they will carry my DNA with them to the end of their life, will they not? So there's always going to be something in them. And if you see them now, if you go hang out with Tennyson or you go hang out with Cedar, I promise you this. You'll say, man, that right there reminds me of Todd. Or that right there reminds me of Jenny. Because our DNA is infused in them. They can't help but to mimic us. Because it's in them. It's who they are. And what God says to us, what Paul is saying to us, hey, you are to mimic God as children of God. That's who you are. Is that not what we looked at in chapter 1? Right? He says, hey, you're adopted by God. And in that adoption process, God infuses in us the Holy Spirit, which therefore we now carry his DNA everywhere we go. We represent him. 
I remember early on in life, my parents, uh, as terrible as parents as they could have been and might have been, and uh, they were not great parents. And this is, uh, I say that boldly. They were not great parents. But one thing I remember them telling me, hey, they would tell me this. Whatever you do tonight, wherever you go tonight, just remember you carry our name. Uh, that's not the healthiest way to share that with a kid. That's frightening and terrifying and made me want to rebel. Like, okay, I carry your name. Paybacks. But I can remember them telling me that, to, to be cautious of how I live my life because the way I live my life is going to be a direct reflection on them as parents, is it not? And what Paul is saying to us, how we live in this world as imitators of God reflects who we think to be true about who God is. And so Paul is pleading with us, hey, be imitators of God. This is how Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He calls us to holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. That's the mark that God has set for us. Like God's mark on your life and on my life as imitators of God is holiness and righteousness and purity. Well, how, how do we do that, Paul? Anyone ask that question? If you come to that verse, like anyone in here like, man, holiness, how am I to be holy? Because in and of yourself, you cannot be holy. Look at your life before Christ. My life before Christ was marred with sinful, sinful behavior that was contrary to God. This is what Isaiah says in his book. He says, even my best deeds are filthy rags to God. Like even the best I have to offer doesn't make the mark of holiness to God. So Paul's pleading with us. And what is he pleading us to do? He says it this way, to walk. That means step by step. We're to walk as we mimic God. Well, who are we walking with if we're going to mimic God? We must step by step be walking with God every single day. I say it all the time from this pulpit. If the only time that you're walking with God is 35 minutes here on a Sunday morning, you, there's no way for you to mimic God. It's just impossible. Think, think about this. If all you did all week was eat one time at this one table, would you not starve yourselves to death? See, the average person comes to church less than 52 times a year. So if you think about that, if I only ate 52 times a year, you, you would not live the whole year. You would die of starvation. And that's what Paul is saying to us. Like we must day in and day out walk with God. He, he says it four or five times in this one book. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 15. He's telling us to walk with God. To walk in the manner of what God has called us to. But then there's this one word that he tells us to mimic over all the other words, all the other characteristics of God. How does he say it? One word. Walk in what? Love. So all the words that Paul could have chosen about the character of who God is, 
the one word he tells us to walk in is what? Love. Think about the word love for a moment. He's going to tell us the pattern of what God's love looks like here in a moment. But God's love is all-consuming, is it not? God's love says it this way, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Like, think about that for a moment. God's calling you and me to love like him, which means I've got to love the people that I don't really want to love. Jesus says it this way in the Gospels. He says, what benefit is it to love those who love you back? There's no benefit at all. Love those who hate you is what he says. And so he's telling us, hey, you want to be like God? You want to imitate God? The plea is, then walk with love. So we must ask the question, then what is the love of God? That's important for every one of us in this room to be able to answer this morning. This is the pattern of God's love for us, found in the person of Christ Jesus. Three things he says, how we are to pattern our love. He says, and walk in love. Circle the word as. As what? Christ loved us. Three things that we'll see in this text about Christ's love for us. It's this idea, Paul is using this idea when we are to uh, become imitators of God. You know, the, the best way to imitate God, uh, this is the way my brain thinks about it. Anyone an artist in here? Yeah, me either. Tennyson's probably the only one that I know of. She's an amazing artist. But what makes her such an amazing artist is she's got an amazing ability to trace the picture. Like if you really think about it, if I take a picture and I lay it to the left and I begin to draw what I see on the left, it's not going to be that clear of what's the picture on the right. But if I take the picture and I overlay trace paper on top of it, will not the picture look identical to what I'm tracing? And that is what Paul is pleading with us to do. Think of that way. I want to place my life over top of God and mimic all that God does in his love for me. And so how do we do that? The first thing that we see is this. As Christ loved us. You don't have to turn here. I'll turn here. John 3.16. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. What does God say through Jesus about his love. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but what? Have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world what? To condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him and so we see the first thing we see the forgiveness of god we see god's forgiveness and his love for us you, you see when when god looked down on humanity he saw you and i and our ancestors rebelling day in and day out against the holiness of god see that's what sin is sin is rebellion of the mark god has called us to which is holiness 
And God knew in his sovereignty, there's no way that creation, my highest esteem, can live the way I've called them to. And so he knew that there must be forgiveness for how they were living, contrary to him. And so what did he do? He loved us. And he what? And his love for us sent Christ for us to forgive us. You see, that's what the cross is all about. The cross is a sign of God's great love for you, but it's also a sign of God's great forgiveness of you. Not only were his hands nailed to the tree that day, but your sins were nailed to the tree that day. That's his love for you. Because he knew you'd continue and I would continue to miss the mark. And in continuing to miss a mark, we're going to get to what's going to happen to us if God does not forgive us. It's called the wrath of God. I was talking to Jenny on our date the other night about this idea. How often I forget that the wrath of God is still coming. Like I can be secure in my salvation. I won't ever face the wrath of God. But the promise in this text is God's wrath is still coming. And yet, in his mercy, in his kindness, and his forgiveness for us, and what, and ultimately his love for us, he spares us from his wrath. So the first thing we see is that we must pattern our lives how Christ patterned his we must live as those who are forgiven. And if I believe how much I've forgiven, have been forgiven, will I not pour that forgiveness out on other people? You think of all the things that you and I have done to smear the holiness of God, and yet we're forgiven for every single one of them. Because of God's love for us. But here's the beauty. It's not just God's forgiving love that we see in this passage. The next thing that we see is God's unconditional love that he has for us. How do we see that? That he what? Gave himself up for us. Think about that for a moment. God could have chosen any way he wanted to forgive us. We see that throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of ways that God chose to redeem his people. That's what the sacrificial system was all about, was God's way of redeeming his people through the sacrifice of animals. So he could have continued to do that for us, and we would have continued to have to work in our salvation, but God's love for us said enough is enough. They can't continue to do this pattern in their lives. I must go down and forgive them and get, forgive them sacrificially. So he gave himself for us. God gave his only son out of his love for us. For God so loved the world that what he gave his what for us? His son for us. Unconditional. 
No conditions attached to God's love. You can't earn God's love. You can't wait, walk your way into God's love. You, you can't put enough money in the offering plate to receive God's love. You can't read God's word enough to receive his love. It's unconditional. It's all for you with no strings attached. And so what God is saying to us, if we're going to be the church, that we must forgive people the way we've been forgiven, and we must love with no strings attached. And the last one is this. It's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The word sacrifice is huge in this text. So God forgave us through love. God loved us unconditionally. And God loves us sacrificially. He gave himself as a sacrifice to us. If you don't know Christ here this morning, here, if you don't hear anything else that I preach today, hear this, that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor, to earn his forgiveness. It's a free gift from him, he tells us. It's a free gift that's offered to everyone who would receive and believe. And when we receive him, when we believe him, he tells us in John 1 that we've become children of God. And so if you're here this morning, you think, man, I, I just got to get my life right. I, I've got to clean up my baggage. I got to clean up my mess. You will spend the rest of your life trying to get clean. You cannot clean yourself. That's what the blood of Christ on the cross does for us. It washes us, as Psalm, Psalm says, white as snow. So that's the forgiveness of God that washes us white as snow. It's, there's no strings attached. And that is a beautiful gift of God. Could you imagine if we had to continue to earn God's love? How exhausting that would be. How pitiful we'd feel every time we miss the mark. Every time we don't hit holiness. That would be exhausting. God says, there's no strings attached to my love. I'll continue to pour it out. Over and over and over and over. There's no empty in God's love for us. And just hear this. It's sacrificial. God gave his only son to walk this planet a righteous, holy man. He's the only one that's ever walked the planet that could say, I am holy for my father is holy. And he lived that holy life for 33 years and then went to the cross because it was the will of God, it tells us in, a, in Isaiah, to crush him, to crush him for what our iniquities, our sin, he had to be crushed on the cross. It was the will of God to crush his son so that we would have everlasting life. That's how much he loves you and cares about you. It's sacrificial. If you don't know that Jesus today, we would love the opportunity to walk you through what it means to be a child of God. And now, child of God, the challenge is to us. Do we live our lives patterned that way? Do we live our lives as being remembered of how much God forgave us so that we just pour out forgiveness for other people? 
even in the Nashville traffic. Right? I'm the only one. Like, do I live out my life in forgiveness? Do I live out my life with no conditions attached to how I care for people? And am I sacrificial in my giving of myself, my time, my resources, my money? Like, do I live sacrificially? That's the plea. That's the pattern. And this is what Paul tells us to stay away from as we walk as imitators of God. Let therefore, he says this in verse 3, but sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness not, must not be made among you, which is what? Proper among the saints. If you're a child of God, you're a saint of God. And what Paul is saying, saints of God cannot be marked with these things. There can't be any sexual immorality among us. Impurity, covetousness among us. So the first thing that Paul addresses is our sexual behavior. He's saying, hey, we must be sexually healthy in relationships to one another, with ourselves, and before God. Let none of this be named among you, he says. And then he goes a step further in verse 4. Let there be no what? Filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now he says to us, your sexual behavior has to be pure, but your relationships have to be pure. And when I came to this text, and I studied this text, I think of all the times I'll hear something and and laugh at a joke. I don't say the joke, but I'll laugh at the joke. Or I'll, I'll watch TV, and I'll laugh at that joke on TV. Well, what Paul is saying to us is don't let that be named among you. So i got to be real careful what goes in here. And I think we, the church, can get away with it by saying, well, it's just on TV, it's no big deal. But Jesus, would, would he sit and watch that show with me? Would he listen to that music with me? See, I I think we would say here this morning, man, I don't do that. But what happens when no one's watching? What happens when I'm alone in front of my TV where it's a a not inappropriate movie? Well, Paul is calling us to imitate God, and God is saying to us, be holy. So everything I consume must be holy. And I was like, oh, man. The Holy Spirit started stepping on my toes. Don't let this be named among you, he says. But instead, what? Instead of those things being named among you, what is to be named among us? Let there be thanksgiving. So ask the question. Where's our gratitude for all that God has given to us. You see, when I'm consumed with the world, I won't be thankful to the things of God because my eyes and heart would be blinded to the things of God. You see, Satan's pull is to pull me continually back into the world. And when I get pulled into the world, I don't know about you, but I get real jaded. I get real bitter. 
I get real cynical. Like, think about if, if Jesus had to begun to been pulled back in the world over and over again. How cynical would that brother have been? Like, here he is. He's walking this pure life, and he gets literally the hell beat out of him for it by people that are Christians. He went to the cross on behalf of Christians. So you talk about a dude that would be cynical, that would be bitter, would it not have been Christ himself? I mean, he walked a perfect life. And yet, what did he do? The whole time he lived on this earth was what? He gave thanks to God for letting God come in the flesh to the people of God. You read all through the Gospels, God's love through Christ Jesus for the people that he knew was going to crucify him. You remember the story when he goes off up into a high hill and he overlooks Jerusalem. He doesn't have a place of bitterness for the people he saw. He had a place of brokenness. He wept, it says, for Jerusalem. If he had been dragged into the world, he would have looked over the world and thought, what a hopeless cause. But he did not allow the world to infect him, but he infected the world. Paul says this, be in the world, but not of the world. So we can't withdraw ourselves in the world. We can't make a holy bubble that we all huddle into. What Paul is saying to us, be imitators of God, do the patterns of God, go into the world. But no, you're going into perversion, but don't be like the world. Well, how am I not going to be like the world? I've got to be an imitator of God, which means I must soak this in daily. We're going to get to it in a few weeks. This is the sword of God, it says. Do you know how to wield a sword? If you put a sword in my hand, it would be a disaster because I don't know how to wield a sword. I'll probably cut my own arms off. But yeah, that's what God is saying to us. Wield this thing. Do you know it? Can you use it? Do you treasure it? You see, a warrior goes in the battle and he treasures his sword does he not i one of my friends in florida he was a police officer and he treasured his side piece because this is the thing that was going to save his life and so he's in this skirmish with this criminal and the criminal goes and reaches for his side piece but yet he knew how to protect himself because he knew how to use the side piece And I just wonder for us, church, do we know and use God's word that way? This is the only thing that's going to prevent perversion in your life. This is it. The radio is not going to do it. Fish, the channel is not going to do it. The Christian music isn't going to do it. The the Christian books aren't going to do it. This is the only thing that will preserve you and I from perversion. Amen? And then he gets to the scary part. But the hope comes in verse 7. He says this is the punishment for these things. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this. 
This is one of those promises. You're like, man, could we not have left that out? That's a promise. Those words, you can be sure of this. The same way you're sure of my salvation, Paul is saying about Jesus and God, you can be sure of this. As sure as sure can be. That anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, the key is that last three words. You see, the promise of God is the wrath comes to who? Not to the sons of righteousness. Not to the sons who have been saved, but what? To the sons of disobedience. You see, if you're not a child of God this morning, I say this with all the love I can muster. You are a son of disobedience. But here's the great promise. You don't have to stay that way. That's the love of God. We all, at one point in our life, were sons of disobedience, were we not? But that great mercy and kindness and love of God changed our identity. For being sons of disobedience to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1 fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. But here's the promise. The wrath of God will come. And we want to talk about the love of God all day. And the kindness of God all day. And the goodness of God all day. But we must talk about the wrath of God. You see, God's Mark is perfection, is holiness. And so that's the standard he wants us to live by. And yet he provides us a way to not have to face the wrath of God through his son Christ Jesus. You see, that's the promise. And he tells us in verse 6, let let no one fool you. There's some books out there that, that say there is no hell. Love wins. No, no. The wrath of God is coming, church. And it's a frightening thing that the wrath of God must come. But the wrath of God is because of the justice of God. But the promise is we don't have to face the wrath of God if we become children of God. I'm so grateful that it doesn't just say that one verse. Oh, the wrath of God is coming for the sons of disobedience. Well, if that's all the Bible said, all of us would be up the creek with no paddle. There's not one person in this room that has not been the son of disobedience. It's by God's great mercy and grace that provided a way for you out of the wrath of God to be absorbed in his love. You see, the wrath of God in your life and in my life as a believer was satisfied at the cross. Jesus, the perfect man, one theologian says this, truly human and truly God, he absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. 
for you and me. But you must place your hope and your faith and your life in the hands of Jesus. Surrender all that you have to him as your Lord and as your Savior. And then he says this, here's the promise. The wrath of God comes upon those of sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So I asked the church this morning, have you partnered with the world? My great fear for us, the church, not just Palace Chapel, but the church universal is this. We've become partners with the world. Why are we in the mess we're in here in America? Why, why have we allowed things to go on that we all know in the church are contrary to God? and yet now are being celebrated by the world. And in some ways, the churches begin to celebrate the things of the world. That is pitiful to me. And God is saying through Paul, don't be partners with the world. The only way not to be partners with the world is what? Found in verse 1. Be imitators of God as what? Catch this one word. Beloved children of God not reluctant children of God not subordinate children of God not submissive children of God but what beloved that word means treasured do you know you're treasured by God this morning despite of anything you've ever done God treasures you therefore we become imitators of him let us pray God, I, I pray for us. Just like an old song says, this world has everything, but this world has nothing for me. God, we live in a world that's going to continue to draw us and want to and tempt us away from you and the things of you. And I pray, God, that we'd be a people that would know the word of God. The way that you say in Psalm 119.11, I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I pray that would be true for all of us in this place. And God, I pray today as we leave here, we'd be reminded of your great love for us. That you said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life and the son did not come to condemn the world there's no condemnation with you lord jesus we're washed white as snow because of your great sacrifice for us i pray that we'd be reminded of that as we go into the world That we'd love the world the way you did. Forgiving the world unconditionally and sacrificially. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.